This is Pastor Chad. Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We are honored that you have joined us today. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Now, let's jump in to today's message. How's everybody doing? Go ahead and give God a hand clap. That'll work. So glad you're here. Um, We're kicking off a brand new series today today entitled Spellbound. Um, I actually did a series with this title a few years ago, but um, the series didn't um, get to go as far as I would normally like. We only dealt with really one topic in that series because the series is designed to talk about certain spirits that want to attack your life, your family, your church, uh, to get you tripped up. And we dealt mainly with um, Jezebel in that series. I'm going to hit some new spirits in this series this this time. Um, But before we dive into that, I want to set up the entire series today. So there's not an individual thing I'm going to tackle, but I do believe that today's message will be the most pivotal of the entire series. It will help you really grasp what, what, what we're um, trying to accomplish and, and prepare you for um, battle. How many know we're in a real battle, right? A real battle. Um, and you may ask, what's up with that title, Spellbound? When, when you think of spells, some of you think of all kinds of stuff, maybe potions and witches and, you know, goblins and goons and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, just things that maybe you were taught growing up or fairy tales. But how many know, once the devil has access to your life, it's much worse than goons and goblins. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's much uh, worse than that. And so I think that we have to take the time to cut through all the sensationalism and the spookiness surrounding the subject of spiritual warfare and so that you and I can identify, understand, but also break every bewitching spirit that has been assigned against your life. Um, and, and so the, the thing we have to really grab here, uh, for some of you, this is going to be a surprise. Some of you, you've been around a while, you kind of get it. But it's possible for Bible-believing Christians to be living under and contending with a spell sent from hell. That it is possible. You say, well, I love Jesus, but you can still be operating under a spell. Doesn't, are y'all here? I just, I got to make sure. Um, the, the thing is, is that we can be spellbound. And I'm not saying that, that you and I or the church is, is threatened by witches, warlocks, soothsayers, any of those things. We're not threatened. Like how many, none of that has power over the church of the living God. None of it. Absolutely none of it. Um, but I am saying that we have to contend with certain spirits, and so that's what it's about. Today's message, I want to call it, I'm in it to win it. That's real deep, right? Hit somebody and tell them I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. I, I didn't get into this spiritual fight to lay down. I didn't get into it, you know, to give up, to throw in the towel. Uh, we got into the fight, and we are in it to win it. Galatians chapter number three, starting in verse number one. I'm going to read it from the NIV first and then the living Bible. But it says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The Living Bible translation says, Oh, foolish Galatians, what magician has hypnotized you and cast an evil spell upon you? For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had waved a play card or placard, that is a poster or sign, before you with a picture on it of Christ dying on the cross. The, the term bewitched is used in the New King James Version of the Bible, but also in the NIV. And the word bewitched, I, I need you to get the meaning. It means the act of casting a spell to charm, to fascinate, and to please to such a degree as to take away the power of resistance. I believe that many in the church have been fascinated and effectively charmed by the enemy, so much so that the power of its effectiveness has been diminished. That a lot of people are not only living under and contending with a spell sent from the enemy, but what you have to understand about being bewitched is that when you are bewitched or you're living under that or you're charmed, it removes your ability to resist the enemy. It removes your ability. You lose control um, because you've been charmed. How many of the enemy doesn't always show up with a pitchfork and a long tail? The enemy will charm you, will smile and appear to be one thing while it's totally something else. And this letter was not written to lost people. Paul is writing to the church. And he asks, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? And this is important because any person that refuses to acknowledge that we're in a spiritual battle are automatically setting themselves up to be spellbound. That it doesn't matter if you've been saved two weeks or 32 years, you are in a really, uh, you are in a real fight, a spiritual war. Um, and you got to acknowledge that you're in a fight, and then you got to decide that I'm in this to win it. Like, I'm not in it to lose, to lay down, to live under some kind of spell of the enemy. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, coming on the back of Galatians 3, 1, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. The phrase, for we wrestle, everybody say, for we wrestle. All right, that phrase uh, speaks to everyone. When Paul wrote this, he wasn't saying that some people wrestle and some don't, or some people wrestle and some watch. There are no spectators in spiritual warfare. The sobering fact is that we all wrestle, and it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, doesn't matter how much Bible you can quote, and it doesn't matter how many tongues you can speak in. It doesn't matter what your profession is, whether you're a pastor, an evangelist, a business owner, an educator. It doesn't matter. We all wrestle. We're all in the fight. We are all in the battle. And he uses the word wrestle in the original Greek language, comes from the Greek word pale, and here's what it means to wrestle. 
a contest in which two opponents endeavor to gain control of one another by throwing one another. This is the spiritual fight we're engaged in. The victor is the one who gains control of his adversary's neck and pins him to the ground. Now, I read that, and, but I want you to notice that the victory is secured over the adversary, over the opponent, by controlling their neck. Not by controlling their arm or their leg or their hand or their foot, but by controlling someone's neck. When you control someone's neck, you control that person because when you control their neck, you control how he or she perceives the world. You gotta walk with me for just a second. With your neck, you turn to something or away from something. I find it interesting that the neck is used. It is through the functioning power of the neck that you determine what you look at and what you avoid looking at. All with the neck. And so the battle is one person throwing another, spiritually speaking, one throwing the other and then taking control of their neck. And it's, it's about perception. If I control your neck, I control what you look at. I control what you see. And the enemy ultimately wants to control what you and I see and how we see it. That's what he's after. You are spirit, soul, and body. You, 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 um, you have, a, have a spirit, but how many know you, you, are, you also have a body and a soul? We've gone over, uh, over that a ton of times. But the enemy really wants to affect your soul. That's where he really wants to get. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The enemy wants to find himself in your mind, will, and emotions because if he's got your soul, he's got you. When we get saved, we say things like, um, you know, God saved my soul, right? Or we had 10 souls saved today. Um, and the reason we say that is because surrendering our lives to Christ means that we are surrendering our soul to Christ. It's not just my spirit, I'm surrendering my spirit to Christ, but I am surrendering my soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions. I have to surrender that to him. And so we've heard it said that the eyes are the window to the soul, right? The eyes are the window. If that is the case, you have to be careful what you show your soul. I'm going somewhere with this. Because a lot of times we, we think, oh, I love Jesus and I can't wait for revival and we want to speak in tongues and prophesy. But the moment we get outside the building, outside of the move of God, our thoughts are dominated by Satan. We don't have a will of our own. We're totally controlled by how we feel. Well, I feel this way. Nobody cares how you feel. Is your feelings in line with God's word? Is your mind thinking the thoughts of Christ? 
Like we want to feel everything and, and, and our, our soul gets all distracted and it starts impacting our spirit. And before we know it, we're living up under a spell. And here's the biggest problem. When it happens, 99% of the time, people don't even know they're living under it. Totally in the dark, unknowingly, under a spell. A big part of spiritual warfare is not giving the devil control over what you look at. You're wrestling and fighting for your eternity and you cannot afford to yield access of your eye gate to the enemy. You can't give him that. And it's not just the physical eye, but your spiritual eye. Job said in Job 31.1, We know his story, but he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Now that scripture is always used to talk about pornography, adultery, and lust, rightfully so. Great scripture. Job said, I made a covenant, I made an arrangement, I made a deal. My eyes would not look at something that it shouldn't look upon. But I want to take it a step further, not just in the natural, but what are your spiritual eyes looking at? Because I believe we need to make a covenant with our spiritual eyes, an arrangement with our spiritual eyes, a deal with our spiritual eyes. And Job was so, so um, engaged in this and so committed to it that in the midst of contending with a nagging wife, he refused to look at anyone else's wife. Come on, y'all. That's real good right there. Like he made a covenant that while she was nagging him to death and saying, curse God and die, Joker, he said, I'm still not going to look at another woman. But spiritually speaking, when we're going through difficult seasons, what happens is, is that our spiritual eyes, if, if the enemy gets control of our neck, and we start looking spiritually at things, not only at the wrong things, but we have the wrong perspective of those things. Perception is about how you interpret your life. And I think some of us have misinterpreted our life. This is not in my notes, but some of us, we bellyache so much. My life is terrible. Nobody likes me. Everybody's against me. No, the enemy has control of your neck. And he's causing you to see things from a different perspective, not a God perspective. Whoever controls your neck not only determines what you look at and how you perceive what you're looking at, but they can also, if they got control of your neck spiritually, not just physically, but spiritually, they can affect your breathing. And when you can't breathe in the natural, you become... Confused and disoriented, and I believe that a lot of Christians 
are confused and disoriented because the enemy has a foothold on them. He's got a hold of their spiritual neck and he's, he's limiting how much of the Holy Spirit they can access, how much of the Holy Spirit can have them. And now they're confused and disoriented. But I prophetically state according to Jeremiah chapter 30 verse eight, God says, I will break the yoke from off their necks. Isaiah said that this yoke would be removed from your neck and the yoke would be destroyed because of the anointing. I'm believing for an anointing to hit this church, hit this region, hit the people of God, and that the yoke of the enemy that has had the spiritual neck of God's people and given them the wrong perspective perspective, be broken in the name of Jesus. If you you believe that give God a praise right there that's a place to give God praise listen you gotta you gotta oh my God I don't even have time Isaiah 10 27 and when he says I'll destroy the yoke from off your neck it's because the word anointing oil there it literally is translated that the yoke won't fit around your neck because you get too fat in the spirit You know why that yoke fits? It's because you're skinny in the spirit. You need more word. You need more Holy Ghost. You need to pray in tongues more. You need to get in community more. Some of us are way too lean. Skinny's good in the natural. I like skinny. And I work real hard to get there. I can't quite get to Pastor Jay, though. He just wakes up, eats gummy bears, and stays like that. Makes me want to get real mad. I'm out here running five miles and can't be that skinny. But how many know in the spiritual, it ain't good to be skinny? Some of us are lean and we're underneath a yoke and Satan wants to control your neck because he doesn't want you to see things clearly. He wants to dominate your perception. Perception is a way of regarding, understanding, and interpreting something. Perception is in the same family of words, you football uh, guys, it's in the same family of words as reception or interception. And so it's about how we receive something. How many know that if we receive the right thing in a wrong way, that's problematic? If we receive a wrong thing in a right way, that's problematic. And the enemy wants to get us by our spiritual neck and cause you to perceive things incorrectly, to cause you to think that people are against you when they're actually for you, cause you to think that people are for you when they're actually against you. He wants you to see up as down, down as up. He wants you to see that I'll never get out of this mess, that there's no chance for breakthrough, hope, healing, or grace. He wants you to see everything the opposite of what God has laid out. But I came to announce over your life, that spell, baby, is being broken in the name of Jesus. Your best days are not behind you. They're still in front of you. That God will make the crooked places straight, that he has gone before you to ensure your victory and that his promise will be fulfilled in your generation and in your home. Come on, somebody, give him a praise right now. Come on, we got to wake up with a new perspective. In the natural realm, as it relates to aviation, 
flying planes. Um, a lot of times pilots are, they, they, they get what is called wrong perception. Even though they're trained, they're a pilot, but they get wrong perception, which means they can think the plane is straight. And the plane could in fact be going straight down or even be pitched severely. And they can have wrong perception and not know it. And that has happen, happened numerous times since we started you know, riding on planes. And a lot of the times, if that is not corrected, then not only does the plane go down and crash, but a lot of people are destroyed. They're dead because his perception was off. And the period in the flight where pilots are most susceptible to wrong perception are when it's really dark or stormy. And I think that is fitting because it's true of our lives. It, it pays for you and I to remember that Satan knows that in our darkest seasons of life, we are most vulnerable to wrong perception. <laughs> when we're in that dark season, in that stormy place, it can have an intense effect on our ability to perceive things the right way. Sometimes it's the pressure that has caused you to see things incorrectly. Sometimes it's family problems. Sometimes it's a job loss, lack of resources. For some of you, your perception is off because you've been in a season of waiting. How many know I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm going to be? And in the season of waiting, that what you might, may identify as a dark season, listen to me, that's the time Satan wants to throw your perception off. He will find you in that moment when you are questioning, is God for me? Does God have a plan? And he will start causing you to see things incorrectly. And he will trip you up. See, it's not what happens to us, but it's about our perception of what happens to us. See, we only, we only want to talk about what happened well, even if it was a bad thing that happened, if I have the right perspective that even in a bad thing, I can look back and say, you know what? God really does work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That if my perception is right, I can learn something from a bad situation. I had lunch with a 21-year-old this week, and he was telling me some of his life and what had happened to him, and, and, and how that since all these things had happened, and I'm not going to go into detail because I don't want you to know who it is. It's none of your business who it is. Uh, anyway, he was, he was throwing it all out on the table, and I'm thinking, man, you've been through a lot. Like, I, was, I, I had no idea they had been through so much. And then we got to kind of the end of the lunch, and he said, yeah, but you know what? I've looked at it, and here's what I learned, and this is how it affected me. And even though this relationship didn't work or that one, I can see how God used me to help them and how God, God used them to help me. And I'm thinking, I got 70-year-olds that can't get that mature, that can't see it with the proper perspective. And I'm looking at a 21-year-old who had gone through hell and came out on the other side and looked at the season and said, God meant it for my good. I learned from it. I grew from it. I'm better from it. I wish we could have some people that could go through a bad season and come out with the proper perspective. Woo! I feel like preaching this thing right now. 
I'm tired of the devil messing with the people of God's perception. We, we say, well, they did this. God ain't going to ask you what they did to you. I've had a lot of people do bad stuff to me. Bad. And you know what? He's not going to talk to me about what they did to me. He's going to talk to me about how I responded to what they did to me. I don't always like that, but that's, that's the question. How did you respond to it? What was your perspective from what you went through? But the enemy will take us through seasons of darkness and storms and things that don't go in our, our favor. And what he does is he gets a hold of our spiritual neck and turns our head to where he wants it to go so that we get focused on things that, are, that continually trip us up. Pilots in the natural, even though they are susceptible to wrong perception, they have instruments that will tell them, hey, you're going to crash, or the plane is pitched. Now, if they ignore the instrumentation that they've been given and how they've been trained, then they're going to crash the plane anyway. But just as they have instruments that will tell them the plane is off pitch, we have instruments that will tell us your life is off pitch. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Because it's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That is the instrumentation God has given us that when we're going through a dark place, going through a stormy place in our life, I don't talk about how I feel because how I feel is probably the wrong thing. How I feel is probably the wrong perspective. So I got to get out of my feelings, which that'll preach all day long, and I got to stand on what God has said and on what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, and I can even pray for something that the Bible calls discernment. And it's a gift that God will give you if you ask him. Pray, God, help me to discern what I'm going through. There have been seasons in my life I thought it was terrible. It can't get any worse. And I came out and I came through that season only because God gave me the right perspective of the season. That, that if I can see it from God's point of view, then I'm not going to end up under some kind of spell with the enemy on my spiritual neck, but I'm going to grow up in the Word and the Holy Ghost, and that yoke, that spell won't fit. It's not going to fit on my life. Check this out in Ephesians 6.12. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm going to just stop right there. We are not at war with people. Anytime you think that your war is with people, it is totally, and you need to hear me, it's totally and completely out of the will of God. If your mind even fathoms, I'm fighting these people. As a pastor, that's a temptation. There's a lot of times I feel like I'm fighting people. But you gotta look, you gotta look beyond the natural. And a lot of times, you, you got to see, see what's going on behind the flesh and blood. You got to see past skin. And we're missing the purpose of God 
and, and, and the whole purpose of the cross if we're fighting with people. He said we don't wrestle against people. So the church must never fight with people. The church must fight for people. I love the golf clap. I'm, I, love, I love golf, so I really do like it. Paul wrote this letter. By the way, I am digging the new LED notes. Thank you, Pastor Karen. They look amazing. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And this church, when he, when he wrote to them and said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, I don't think we understand that this church was located in an indescribably immoral city. I, and, and you think we got it bad in America. This place was a cesspool. You could not even be legally arrested in the city. Like it was an anything goes kind of culture. Ephesus was where the ancient temple dedicated to the Greek goddess Diana was located. And they literally would... Um, temple prostitutes would serve the people who would come into the city for worship. Like this is the kind of stuff going on. And so it's in the middle of all this mess that Paul sends a letter to the church and says, hey, we're not wrestling flesh and blood. We're not fighting the sinner, the one who's rebellious, the one who is causing all the mess. We're not fighting with those people, but we're at war and it gives us three main things that we wrestle with. And the first is principalities. The word principality in the original language is defined as the first person or thing in a series. So principality is when you got something that comes against you, but that's just one thing, but there's a series of things coming after it. So it's a picture of Satan who is referred to by Jesus as the prince, which is the root word of principality, the prince of the power of the air. So it's, it's when Satan attacks you, but how many know Satan also got one third of the angels to fall with him who are now working with him. So he may hit you first, but after him, you're going to, you got other spirits that are hitting your life. It's, it's one thing comes and then a series of other things. And we know that the word prince, uh, when we look at that, a prince is, is one who has power. Um, you know, we, we have the king, but, but if, if you're the prince, how I many you have a certain amount of influence, you have a certain amount of, of power. And the way you defeat a prince is by understanding the form of government. Uh, in the Bible, we preached a whole series about it last year called monarchy, but in the Bible, it's the kingdom of God. And a monarchy is made up of lords, princes, princesses, I got one of those, um, queens, kings, and so on. Um, and we know that in an earthly monarchy, we understand that the prince has power. But no matter how much power the prince has, there is always one with more power than the prince. And that is the king. In fact, the prince only has the power that the king grants him. In other words, the king has all power. 
Do I need to remind some people today that think your life's upside down and messed up and you'll never bounce back that Jesus is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That he is still reigning over all things. In Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given unto me. And Jesus, you know, most kings, they're born as princes, right? And they come as a prince. And eventually, they become the king. But Jesus was not born a prince. He was born a king. All of heaven recognized that baby in a manger. That's the king. The shepherds in the field recognized that's the king. The magi recognized that's the king. You know who else recognized it? And that's the reason he wanted to take him out early. Satan also recognized that that baby in a manger was born, not a prince. Satan, you may be a prince of the power of the air, but this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules over all things. That's why David said this. Look at... at, um, Psalm 24, real quick, or I'll read it to you. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. You may be engaged in warfare right now. The enemy may have messed up your perspective. But listen, don't hang your head in defeat in the middle of the battle. David was a king, but he recognized the true king. And the way he was able to do that was not his head down in defeat, but he had to lift up his head to get a perspective of how big God is and that truly he reigns over everything. He reigns over your issues. He reigns over that divorce that you went through. He reigns over your bank account. He reigns over your calling. He reigns over your marriage. He reigns over your kids. But you got to change your perspective. He truly does reign over all these things, but you got to lift up your head. And when you're fighting the prince, the smartest thing for you and I to do is to claim the power of the king. To claim his power. In order to do that, I got to know who Jesus is, but I also got to know, before I say that, Jesus never had an identity crisis. He absolutely knew who he was. When Pilate confronted him, and I think it's John 137, when Pilate confronted him and he, he asked him, not 1837, he asked him or, or said this, he said, are you a king then? So he flat out asked him, people are saying you're a king. Are you a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. Jesus is like, amen. They say, Amen. No identity crisis. Totally knew who he was. The enemy works against you by robbing you of your perspective of who God called you to be. It's one thing for you to know who Jesus is, but baby, it's a whole nother level of breakthrough when you know who you are in Jesus. A lot of people know who Jesus is, but they have no idea who they are. 
They have an identity crisis not understanding that when we operate in the kingdom of God, we are called ambassadors in the scripture. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and said we are ambassadors, which means an ambassador represents or speaks on behalf of their government. It means that when I'm submitted to the king and I'm doing it the king's way, when I speak, Everything's got to move. Everything's got to submit. The devil's got to get off. He's got to get away from me. Why? Because I am an ambassador and all of heaven will back up what I'm saying. You say, well, I, you know, I just don't want to talk like that. I don't want to, I just don't, I can't say those things. Listen, we give life to the things that we say. If you want God's kingdom to invade your life, there's no quicker way than you to change your speech. The Bible says we can decree a thing and it will be established. A lot of us, we've been decreeing sickness, lack, frustration, depression, anxiety, fear. People are my anxiety, my fear, my depression. And wonder why it's not changing. It's become your little pet. I ain't preach half of this the first service. My anxiety. My fear. What about my anointing? My calling. My my healing. My breakthrough. What, what about changing the narrative? Because you're going to have what you say. The Bible teaches we're going to eat what we say. Like we're going to eat it. It's, it becomes fruit we eat. And we're saying all these things, not understanding that in Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That word there, authority, comes from the Greek word exousia. And it's the power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to or obeyed. Now that, friends, the power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to or obeyed. That's the word authority that we've been given. And so you say, what does that, what does that mean? It means that Satan has to obey you when you operate in the power of your king. Now here's, here's the catch. This is an important prere- prerequisite to it. Before I can truly walk in the king's power, I must first be submitted to his authority. Not not one of these like, you know, I submit to no one but God. Yeah, we get that. But there's also delegated authority. And there's an order to God. So you're one of these cuckoos out here. I always listen to the Lord and you just running around. You cuckoo. I thank God for instruction. I thank God for people that have spoken to my life. I wouldn't be standing here holding a pulpit without some authority in my life telling me, get that crap together. That's good. That's not good. Work on this. Don't work on that anymore. You got it. How many are thankful for some voices in your life that has helped you get to where you're going to? 
It ain't just you and the Holy Ghost. It's you and the Holy Ghost and some voices that can, that can speak into your life. And so if I refuse to submit to God's authority or his delegated authority, at that moment, I have entered into rebellion and rebellion always has a cost. A lot of people are like, what's that cost? I'm glad you asked. The cost of rebellion is authority and power. You don't get it. That's the cost. So I think that big deal. It's a big deal when the enemy comes against you and you have nothing to fight with. You have no ability to stand because that's the payment. You lose authority and power to exercise the kingdom of God in the earth. We wrestle against principalities. We also wrestle against rulers of darkness. The six, uh, Ephesians 6.12, Paul describes our struggle as a struggle with principalities, but then he adds these words. We wrestle against rulers of darkness. Obviously speaking, that's a reference to Satan and demons, but it's also, it's a representation of ungodliness, immorality, and sin. Satan orchestrates and he holds sway over all the darkness in this world. Anytime you see darkness, Satan, Satan is involved. Anytime you see it, Satan inspires every act of rebellion and sin. He inspires that. Gossip, rape, murder, wickedness, abuse, whatever, racism, let's call that one out. He causes all of those, he's behind, he's orchestrating all of that dysfunction. And what you have to understand is when we refuse to come out of that darkness, whatever area of darkness we have, into God's light, then Satan is able to rule because Satan rules in darkness. And darkness is not happy until it's in total control. Total control. The word darkness in Ephesians 6, 12 the meaning is it's it's uh, the meaning for that is a person in whom darkness becomes visible, and the only way I can explain that is, is if you ever had a conversation with someone or been around someone, and you could see the darkness. I've walked into some rooms before, thought, wow. I sense the dark. I can see the dark. I have had conversations, and I knew that I was looking into the eyes of something that was being held, of someone that was being held under darkness. It becomes visible, becomes something that you can physically see. And I've watched this play out in the life of Christians, unfortunately. I've watched people dis distance themselves. They went through a bad season, and because of the bad season and because the enemy took control of their neck and determined how they perceived the season, they started distancing themselves from the presence of God. And any time we distance ourselves from the presence of God, how many know we are opening ourselves up to darkness? Are you getting anything out of this word? I hope you are. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm about to wrap it up. Bitterness, offense, compromise, unforgiveness, anything. Any, listen, guys, I, I'm so sick of people categorizing sin. Like, we, we want to jump on this, you know, sin. 
We jump on that sin and jump on that sin. But God, the small, it's all sin. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's murder or gossip. Maybe you, that person killed them, you know, physically. That's bad. We all get it. But if you gossiped about them, you just killed them spiritually. You're committing the same thing. It's all darkness. We have to rid ourselves of darkness, which leads me to the final point. We wrestle against powers, and I saved the best for last. Powers. This, this one comes from also exousia. Exousia, that word has many different meanings, but one of the meanings has to do with the ability to choose. The authority, the power that we have is the ability to choose. A lot of us, we want to blame the devil for things. Listen, he's not even your greatest adversary. Your greatest adversary is you. The powers here, when we look at this, we wrestle against powers. Um, what you have to understand, the devil cannot force you to do anything. He cannot force you. He can influence, but he can't force us to do it. I've heard Christians, like older Christians say, the devil made me do it. How do you help that? How, I mean, how do you help that? The devil made me do it. I understand he tempts us. I understand he influences us. But at the end of the day, he don't make us do anything that's against our will. God, this power, God has granted me power. Watch this, not only over the devil, but this is the part I love. God has granted me power over me. You have the power in this, this spiritual warfare that is over you and against the enemy. And we, we, we run to that and we shout to that and say, praise the Lord, I'm gonna tread on serpents and, serpents and scorpions and all this stuff. But you can't exercise power over yourself. Listen, if you can't exercise this power over yourself and your own feelings and all that stuff, you can never walk into a room and change an atmosphere. Uh, this is tough. Everybody be like, Sin, he's done, I'm running out. Um, through the power of God, I'll say it like this, like this. If Chad Dingus can bring Chad Dingus into submission, I'll overcome. So if I can exercise the power of God, not just over devils and sickness, but if I can exercise the power of God over me, I will overcome. We cannot afford to flirt with darkness or flirt with compromise or flirt with any of these things because God has given us the power to choose righteousness, to fight the good fight of faith, to take authority over our mind, our will, and our emotions and bring it all into submission to the will of God because at the end of the day, I will either declare to the devil you will not have power over me in Jesus' name or devil, I submit to you. All about whether I can bring me into subjection or not. God's power is available to you today. 
And I believe that any misinterpretation of your life or wrong perception over your life or the season of your life, I'm believing that God is going to break the enemy's power over your spiritual neck and you're not going to focus on what's wrong, but you're going to focus on how awesome and how big your God is. If you believe that, stand to your feet. Give God 20 seconds of praise right now if you receive the word of God. Come on, give him a praise. Come on, that's the word of God. You're leaving this place locked and loaded today. You're going to be tempted to fall back into my depression, my anxiety, or this or that, and this is so terrible, my life stinks, and you're going to, be, you're going to hear my voice going to hear me say, hey, exercise some power over you, over your own mind, over your own will, over your own emotions. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around for a couple of moments. I've preached it to the best of my ability, but I want to speak to those that are in this place and those watching online. And you would say today that you're not in a relationship with Jesus, that you need him to save you, to forgive you, to come into your life and heart. Listen, that's, that's our prayer for you. We prayed for you before you even came here today. That's why we do what we do. But if that is you, you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. I want to know that I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, thank you for this hand over here. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else say, Pastor, that's me. God, I need, there's another hand. God bless you. Awesome, awesome. God sees that. Anyone else? Anyone else? Those watching online, you can be a part of this as well. Listen, we're going to lift our voice together with you. You don't have to pray alone. Every voice together say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. So I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate those people. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. So good. As the prayer team and staff come forward, we're going to open up these altars. And listen, we want you to utilize the altars. You may, you may say, you know what? I just want God to touch me today or minister. I want to experience the Holy Spirit, whatever it is. Listen, we are here to put our faith with yours. We want to pray with you and for you and just believe that God is going to move in your midst. If you made that decision to follow Christ, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you'd pull that card out, let us know who you are, write your name down, and you, you could drop it off at um, that table in the back left of this room, my left, your right. Um, and we'll have someone there that'll help you take your next step. We just want to help you, you know, begin your journey with Christ today. And so we're going to open up these altars, sing one more song. Before we do it, give Jesus another praise today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bethesda Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting bethesdachurch.tv give. We will catch you on the next episode.